How you doing today? Come on, that it sounds like some of you guys are still sleeping, dormant. How you doing today? Good, good. There we go. There we go. There we go. I almost started dancing to that song. I don't know who changed. Did one of the youth change the the sermon song? Oh, I'm just making sure. Okay. Well, if this is your first time here at the Brook, I want to say welcome. Welcome to the Brook. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you to to our family. Um, If this is your first time here, I want to let you know that you are in family today. We we really do want you to take advantage of all that we have going on here. God wants to to meet with you, not only here, but also with us um, throughout the week. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles uh, to Philippians uh, chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 11. You can go on your, your Bible apps. Don't go on Facebook. Don't start texting people. Because then God will strike you down. And, no, I'm just playing. He, he, won't, he won't do that. I'm just playing. He, if, if, if you want a Bible, we also have Bibles underneath the, the pews. Um, if you don't own a Bible, consider it a gift. We want you, want you to have that. And as you turn there, it's on page 980, by the way, in, in, the, in the pew Bible. Uh, today we're going to continue our series in the book of Philippians. In this series we've titled, Unshackled Joy. And as you turn there, I want you to know a few things. First is that this book was written by a guy named Paul. And Paul was in prison. He was, he was locked up and he, was, he, he had a death sentence awaiting him. And he writes this letter to a church that he started in the city of Philippi. And he was locked up. He was in prison in the city of Rome. All right? And as he's there and he pens this letter... He was a little bit worried about them because they had a lot of opposition internally and outside of the church. And the church was also worried because he himself was locked up and they didn't know what would happen to them because he was like their father in the faith. And today we see his heartbeat and we see his unshackled joy. And last week, Pastor Eric, he he dived into the book, he dove into the book. And he, he unpacked the, 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 the great theme of joy that the Christian life brings to the believers, even in the midst of suffering. And today, in chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, we're going to see uh, this a little bit more. So I'm going to ask you to rise to your feet if you can. And again, reading out of uh, your Bible or your Bible devices, I want you to read with me. Verse 6 says this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work, can you say good work? In you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are, you are all partakers. Can you say partakers? With me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, 
For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love, can you say love? love? That your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So that, here's the purpose, you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Father, I just want to thank you, Lord, for this day, God, that you've gathered us to be together as a family. Lord, your word says that this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Father, but... I would be remiss if I, if, I, if I didn't know, God, that many of us, Lord, come with many worries, many cares, suffering, Lord, and that's difficult for us sometimes to find joy in you in the midst of life's problems. God, so I pray that the seed of your word would fall on good soil. God, that your word would transform us, that it would mold us, that it wouldn't be just merely information, but formation, God, for our lives. God, let the meditations of my heart and the words that I speak be pleasing to you, Lord. I have nothing to offer but your word, Lord. Do business with us, God. We need you. I need you. Pray all of this in the name of Jesus. And God's people say, Amen. Earlier this week, I was, I was pretty sick. Now, I typically don't get sick, all right? And it's not always because I'm the healthiest, but I just typically don't get sick. But when I do get sick, I get really, really sick, all right? And on Tuesday evening, I started feeling really, really bad. I mean, I think it was like a, a stomach bug. And it, it, it carried me all the way into Wednesday. Wednesday morning, I got up. I could barely stand up. I could barely walk. But I still had to, had to do things. I still had to work here. I still had to go to school. And on top of that, I had a panel discussion that I was on, a few panel discussions that I felt like I was going to throw up in. You know, like the worst thing that somebody can do when you're sick is like ask you questions and ask you like a lot of questions? Well, my job in this panel discussion specifically was to answer questions. So they're like asking me about my life. And I'm like, yeah, I'm about to throw up in your face right now. Be careful. And it came to a point that Wednesday evening around like 2 o'clock, I was like, all right, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to wrap everything up. I'm going to leave school. I can barely walk. I'm super dizzy. I got to drive. And I made it home. And I was like, you know what, let me see if I can work a little bit just, just, just to get ahead with the things that I have to do. I just cannot do it. I mean, I was like, man, this bed is calling me. I need to go to sleep because I am beyond my limit at this point. It was a crummy situation, but yet I try to work it out. I try to continue to work. And as I was thinking about this, I'm like, man, God, I feel like you gave me that experience for today. Because sometimes in this life, if you're like me, we try to work out our own bad situations, right? We try to work with our own effort, our own wisdom, our own talent. And then we end up giving up because we realize 
we do not have the capacity to fix our marriages. We don't have the capacity to uh, find that mate that you've been looking for, that woman, that man. We don't have the capacity to, to, to help our rebellious children have the capacity to get us a job even though we fill out applications all day every day and twice on Sunday bad situations sometimes we're just depressed and afflicted over the things that have happened in our lives and we realize we have no control over the things that have happened or the things that are happening some of you are diseased you've been ill for years just struggling And you realize Tylenol, no injection, no medicine, no doctor has been able to heal you. And then we look up to the sky, right? We look to God and we say, God, where are you? Do you care about this? Do you care that people are slandering my name? Do you care that I'm suffering? Lord, do you see me? Because I'm broken down. As I was thinking about this, I said, man, when does God do his work? When does God show up and show out? Because it appears to me that oftentimes I'm in a lot of bad situations. I go through a lot of stuff. You go through a lot of stuff. If you are a follower of Jesus, carrying your cross is a difficult task, right? It's not easy. It's not easy to walk with Jesus, yet it's joyful, and yet sometimes we find ourselves broke down. Where is God? Where is he at? But today in our text, I want us to see one thing, and we're going to break it down, that God does good work in bad situations. See, he's not like us. We do bad work in bad situations, right? We, we try to fix our husbands. We try to fix our wives. We try to fix ourselves. We try to fix our past. We try to remedy all that, and we just make it worse. Man, am I the only one? Am I preaching to myself right now? Am I, oh, am I at the brook? Okay, okay, I'm just making sure, because y'all ain't talking back to me. But see, God does good work. God does great work. When everybody says, Jeremy, when everybody tells you, hang it up, it's a bad situation. It's over. Man, God loves to intervene in those times. And we're going to see this in the text. Because in the text, we're going to see three things that support the idea that God does good work in bad situations. You with me? We're going to see three things. We're going to see a promise. We're going to see a partnership. And then we're going to see a prayer. In verse 6, we're going to look at the promise. In verse 7 through 8, we're going to look at the partnership. And then in verses 9 through 11, we're going to see a prayer. But the first thing that we're going to look at is the promise. Can you say promise? promise. You know what? Look, look to your neighbor and say promise. promise. Some, some of the single, single brothers next to the single sisters are like promise. <laughs> don't, 
Don't do that. Don't do that right now. Now I'm just playing. Can we say promise? Promise. In verse 6, God promises to finish what he started. You see, God started a good work. And this is what he tells him in verse 6. Read it again with me. He says, and I'm sure of this. This is Paul, a man who's in change. He says, and he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Why is he saying this? Because in verse 16, or excuse me, in Acts chapter 16, I don't have time to, to delve into it, but if, if you get a chance, read it. We see the formation of this church, and this church started out with three different people. This guy, Paul, he entered the city of Philippi, and he began to, to go to this place where people would pray, and he met this lady named Lydia. And Lydia was an entrepreneur. She, she owned a business. The Bible tells us that she was a woman who sold purple garments. And what that means, if somebody sold purple garments, it means that they were wealthy. Because a purple garment meant royalty. It was expensive to come by. She was wealthy. She heard the good news of Jesus, and she believed. And her household got saved. And then after that, one day, uh, on another Saturday, Paul and his friend, uh, they're walking through Philippi. They're just, they're just chilling. They're just, they're just trying to buy some stuff for the weekend. And there's this slave girl who comes up to her, come, comes up to them, and he starts saying, you guys are, are, are sons of the Most High God. You are sons of the Most High God. And this, this, this slave girl was, was exploited, you see, because this slave girl was being used by her masters to, to, to tell people their fortune, to predict the future. She was kind of like a psychic for her masters. And whatever money that she made, she would have to give it to her master. She was exploited. And Paul, he got so annoyed, the Bible says, that he rebuked the demon out of her because she was demon-possessed. And he freed her. God freed her. And she came to Jesus. An uproar came out of that. Yeah, that, we should be uproaring out of that. An uproar happened because the city was just wilding out. They're like, man, the, the, these people are messing up our business. And then what ends up happening is they find themselves in jail. And while they're in jail, Paul and his friend Silas, they're just chilling, just praying. I don't know how many people of you have been locked up. But if I was locked up, I wouldn't just be praying so easily. I mean, I hope I'll be praying for my life. But the Bible says that he was praying and he was worshiping God. And the prisoners and the guards were listening to him. And in the midst of this, an earthquake strikes. God moved nature in order to break down the walls of this prison. And there was a guard there. He was a retired soldier because Philippi was known as a city, a city where uh, retired soldiers in the Roman government would come to, re to, to just relax. And they would pick up these jobs like being a jailer. And he's here and he's like, man, I have never seen nothing like this. He's struck with the fear of God and he's about to kill himself. And Paul tells them, no, 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 don't kill yourself. We're all here. We're all here. The prisoners are here. We're all here. And then he says, what must I do to be saved? And he says, believe. Believe in Jesus. 
and he was baptized, and his family believed as well. And then before Paul leaves with his friend from the city of Philippi, what we see is that a church began to be formed. That these people from different experiences, different socioeconomic backgrounds, they all came together around one thing, and that was that Jesus had died for their sins, and they believed that he rose from the grave. And now they were a family. They were a family that was radically changed. But their transformation would take a lifetime. And you know, life is hard. So like us, they went through some issues in their lives personally and in their body, in their church. Some of you guys should say amen. And he says, this good work will be brought to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. See that in verse 6, he says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work and you will bring it to completion. Can you say completion? Completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This means that the same God who brought them out of their brokenness from their specific situations, he would also bring them through their suffering because of Jesus. And the day Jesus comes for his second return, he would make all things right. But in between the time that they came to Jesus and in between the time that Jesus would come back to reign in his full justice, they were going through suffering, y'all. They were going through some things, yet God was still working in the midst of their conflict. That's a promise that no matter what happens to you and me, In this life, God is still working in our lives. God is still forming us. You ever seen a sculptor? See, a sculptor, what he does is he takes a a piece of matter and a sculptor begins to just excavate, take all the things away in order to bring out something beautiful. See, that's what God does in the midst of our suffering. In between the time that we come to Jesus and in between the time that Jesus will come back, God is making something beautiful. But that process is ugly sometimes, ain't it? It's ugly. It reminds me of relationships. Some, some of you guys are married in here. And, and talking to some married brothers, not the sisters, the brothers have told me this. I don't want to get nobody in trouble. I'm just going to say, some, some brothers tell me that when, when you're first dating, you're like in Goo Goo Gaga stage, like, oh, girl, I love you. And then, and then when you get married, you know, it gets a little hard, right, because you get to know each other, you, you get comfortable, and you got to really work at things, right? And that's what makes it beautiful. The same way God says this same thing to the Philippian church. And it stands true for us. See, Jesus brings us out of our mess and out of our sin and enters our pain and suffering. This is good news, y'all. And he will come back to make all things new. You see, when Jesus comes back, the dead in Christ will become alive again. The paralytic will dance. Those who are diseased will be healed from the top down. 
those who are depressed, depressed and afflicted, those people will be comforted, y'all. The persecuted and the slandered, they will be experiencing the justice of God forevermore. He will be our God and we will be his people forever and ever. God will crush all of his enemies. Will be under the reign of Jesus. The fatherless will no longer be abandoned. Truth will replace lies. Our warrior king will also be our shepherd who cares, who will never forsake us. This is good news, y'all. This is the promise that we have in Jesus. That's the promise of God's work. But what do we have in the meantime? Because I'm waiting for that. And I hope you're waiting for that too. Because if I look at the world and if I look at my suffering sometimes, life doesn't look too shabby. Am I lying about that? So I'm waiting for that. But what do we do in the meantime or or what do we make of the in-between time? In in the in-between time, we have a partnership. Can you look to your neighbor and say partnership? Some of the single brothers, don't get get too comfortable. Some of y'all are going to use this later like, Man, girl, we got a promise and we got a partnership. And the Bible says, don't use the Bible. The pastor didn't tell you to do that. No, I'm just playing. We have a partnership. And the partnership is that God created a partnership between us in the midst of bad situations. And we see this partnership specifically in verses 7 and 8. We see specifically that God created a partnership of grace. Can you read verse 7 with me? It says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. Do you see the love there? I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers. Can you say partakers one more time? You are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus. The message that they came to believe, that Jesus died and rose from the grave. He says they are partners or partakers. In a business startup, business partners have equal participation, yet different roles. It's different from just being an employee. You understand what I'm saying? Partners have equal say, but they both have to participate. And Paul is saying we are equal partners or equal participants in this thing called grace. I'm no better than you. You're no better than me because we are partners. Can you say partners? We are partners of grace. And grace is a reference to the new life that they found in Jesus that wasn't because they did anything to earn or something that they could do to lose. Do you understand what I'm saying when I say that? See, the grace of God is given to you. You didn't earn that. The fact that you have breath, that you have breath and that you're able to hear the message of Jesus is God's grace upon you. We didn't earn that. 
that was given to us. But specifically, here we see that the grace they found in Jesus also led them to be participants in each other's lives. Not consumers of each other's lives. Don't miss that. Not mere consumers, but participants. They were contributors to each other's lives. As a matter of fact, this church wanted to participate in this work so bad that while Paul was in prison, they collected an offering for him and they sent it to him so that he can be supported. Participants, contributors, partakers, partners. They had his back with money and with word. And Paul... He was a participant in their lives. He didn't just start their church and abandon them. He continued to provide leadership and care for them. He was their partner. Different roles, yet equal partners. Here, we see that Paul, he's providing leadership. Because the Philippian church had some opposers in their midst. And they also had conflict from within. So they had the potential of imploding from within because of these opposers, these opponents that were coming in preaching a false message of Jesus. These partners weren't obligated to do this, but they knew that their participation would advance the good work of God in each other's lives. These partners understood that they couldn't do it without each other. Look at verse 8. It says, for God is my witness. This is Paul saying, how I yearn. You see the love again? How I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. He's saying our partnership is so connected. It's so interconnected that I need you. You need me. He says, I desire you to the point that I miss you. You don't miss somebody that you don't need. He says, I miss you. I need you. Because see, a grace partnership gives 100% even if the other person isn't. It serves the others, the others' interests, not just your own. It serves others with your money, with your time, with your attention. It gives it all because all those things were graciously given to you by God himself. Church family, if we don't get our partnership right, then we're going to let our preferences divide us. We're going to let our isolation, our own interests, divide us. Could it be that our preferences in music, in language, in our politics, in the way that she talked, in the way that he didn't call me, in the way that he did this, could it be that those things are the very things that are withholding the partnership of grace that God has set up in our lives for us to flourish. Could it be that the first step in isolating ourselves from walking with God, from a relationship with God, is our partnership, abandoning our partnership 
from the people of God. Could it be? See, those things, the things that you and I have were graciously given to us. So it's important when you don't show up to your real community because you are a partner. You are a participant. If you are part of this church family, you add so much when you come here on Sunday. That's why it's important for us to gather. It's important for us to continue to get up with each other during the week. If, 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 if somebody didn't call, call you, you call them, see how they're doing. It's important for us to continue to be partners of grace. Because that's the way that God set it up for us. Because when we do, we see that God carries us into that promise. Not individually, not by ourselves, but he does it also with a band of brothers and sisters, a family. And I'm afraid sometimes that in our culture we could be so individualistic My life is my life. Don't tell me what to do. I'm not going to tell you what to do. You don't need to be a participant in my life because I'm not going to be a participant in your life. That is anti-Bible. That is anti-gospel. It is wrong when we offend each other and we conflict and we got beef with one another and we're like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm hanging it up. I'm done with these people. That is anti-Bible. That is Satan's work in our midst. Because here we see that we have a partnership of grace. And if we have a partnership of grace, then we need to be gracious toward one another. Because we're going to fail each other. We're going to rub shoulders with each other. It's going to be difficult sometimes. You're probably going to annoy me. I'm probably going to annoy you every single time I say, hey, what's up, and hug you but I want you to roll with me. I need you to roll with me. I want to roll with you. I want to be with you. I want you to be with other people in this church so that you can live into the promise. Can somebody say promise? Can somebody say partnership? So here we have a partner, or promise. We have a partnership that can't be broken, but we need God's help in order to carry it out. So thirdly, we see a prayer. Can you say prayer? prayer. Say prayer one more time. Prayer. Single brothers, you, you're getting a little too crazy with this. You're like, girl, I got a promise, a partnership, and I'm praying for you. I see your game. Talk to me afterwards. We need to pray. We need to pray Because God desires that our love would grow in the midst of turbulent times. Our love should be growing in the midst of suffering, not depleting. And we see this in verse 9 through 11. In verse 9 specifically, though, we see that our love should be growing in greater intimacy with God and better judgment. Look at verse 9 with me again. It says, and it is my prayer that your love, can you say love? That your love would abound more and more with knowledge and with all discernment. 
What does that mean? You see here, what he's saying is, he's advocating for the love of God that God showed them to overflow from their lives. But that can't happen apart from knowledge and apart from discernment. So here in, in this text, if you were to study this, you, you, you could see the connection to, to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, whenever knowledge was spoken of, it, it meant knowing God. Not just having a knowledge about God, but actually knowing God, to have intimacy with God. You see, one of the scariest things that we can do as Christians is know a lot of facts about who God is and actually not know him. Here he says, I want to pray that your love would abound more and more in knowledge, in intimacy of God. But not only just intimacy with God, but also grow in knowledge and intimacy with one another. I want your, your love to grow this way. And then he also says, with all discernment. What's discernment? Discernment is having better judgment. Because you see, when you are knowing God, when you are intimate with God, when you are praying to God, you have better judgment for the circumstances that come your way. You know, sometimes we face our bad circumstances running away from God, not running to God. Here he's saying, I want your love to to abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. But it's not just knowledge and all discernment with God. It's also knowledge and all discernment with people. Guys, we have to hang out together. We got to get up. You got to come to my one-bedroom apartment. I got to come to your house and invite myself to eat. And we just got to talk. We just got to get together. We got to know each other. Because the more that we know each other, the more that we have better judgment when conflict arises even within ourselves. He's praying that their love would grow. And that takes time. And it takes prayer. It takes getting in your closet with God. It takes you asking God to search your heart, to know your heart, It takes you taking time to inconvenience your schedule. Yes. Inconvenience your schedule. Leave your job early to get with some people from the local church. Because we have a partnership. And God desires us to grow in our love. What's the purpose of our lives? What's the purpose of us loving each other with all knowledge and all discernment, better judgment. What's, what's the purpose? Well, we see that in verse 10. It says, so that. You want to underline that, so that. Whenever you see a so that in the Bible, it indicates purpose. He says, so that you may approve. Can you say approve? What is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. 
See, the text says that we should pray for this type of love with all wisdom and knowledge so that we retain what's most important to Jesus, to be found without fault, pure and blameless when Jesus returns and filled with the fruit of righteousness. That's a reference to good deeds. You see those three things? I'm going to say them again. We need to love this way because, and we need to be praying for this way because we need to see what's most important to the kingdom of Jesus and retain that. We need to be found without fault when Jesus returns and we need to be filled with righteousness, with, with the fruit of righteousness when he returns and that comes through our deeds. Now, if we're honest, I'm just going to keep it real real quick. The world won't do this for us. The world is increasingly dividing us. Let me tell you something. Jesus is not Republican. Jesus is not a Democrat. Jesus is a Savior King who reigns with all justice, who runs all of them cats. He's the one who puts people in authority and he takes them out. He's the one that even when he puts people in authority who may cause us to suffer as a people of God across the globe, he's shaping us and nobody can stop that movement. That's our God. He still reigns with justice, truth, and love, and good deeds, and he does that through his church. So it's important for us not to take our cues from the world. The world should not be telling you what Jesus says. The Bible should be telling you what Jesus says. The Bible should be shaping you how to think. Your partnership with me, your partnership with one another should be informing the way that you live your life. In every aspect of your life. how do we do this? Because he's saying three things. And if you're like me, this is nearly impossible. How is it that I can retain what's most important, even though I got my preferences? Man, I listen to hip-hop all day sometimes. And sometimes I don't like the music that's played that's Christian. How do I retain what's most important in that, in that, in that sense? How, how do I continue to be fought and blameless because I mess up? I fall on my face sometimes. How do I do that? How do I continue to do good works when there's just a bad situation and I just don't feel like doing that? I don't feel like serving people. I don't feel like coming to church. I don't feel like telling this brother that God put him on my heart. I don't feel like doing none of that. How do we do our good deeds? You can't miss it in the text. In verse 11 it says, through Christ. It says, through Jesus Christ. I'm going to say it again. It says, through Jesus Christ. That's Yeshua HaMashiach in the Old Testament. That's the Savior King. That's the one who rescued you. That's the one who's carrying you. And that's the one who's going to bring you home. And that's the one who's working in you, who won't abandon you ever and ever. Through Christ is the only way that we can accomplish this. Because when we're intimate with Jesus, when we have a relationship with Jesus, 
those things overflow out of you. It's not something that you work for. It's something that extends out of you. You smell what I'm stepping in? So we need to cultivate our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because he's the one who will keep us on the straight and narrow. He's the one who is purifying us, cleansing us, molding us, forming us. And he's the one who's using our gifts and our talents to bring him glory. You know, one of my prayers for our church is this, that when the world sees us, they would say, surely God is among those people. I want what they have. And we could point them to Jesus. So you see, we have a promise from God, an unbreakable partnership, and we're called to pray for what God desires. Because when we do, don't miss this, don't miss this, when we understand this and when we pray into these things, God does a good work in bad situations. God does a great work in tumultuous situations. God shows himself. He reveals himself through your life and through my life when we're together in the midst of tumultuous times. I was thinking about this recently, I talked to a, a Venezuelan pastor, and if you know anything about Venezuela, they're in the middle of crisis. Country's just extremely divided, people dying. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy what's going on over there. And I was talking to this pastor, and, and I was asking him to hit me a little bit. That means to, to give me some wisdom, for those of you who don't know. Uh, give, give me, some, give me some, some pastoral wisdom. And one of the things that he told me struck me, and I think it's so applicable to our lives individually and to our lives as a church. He said, young man, if you want to know the vitality of your church, then assess it in bad times. If you want to know if your church is thriving, and the things that God has called you to do and add a little suffering to that. Because that will reveal where you're at. It's applicable to our lives too. If we want to see where we're at in our relationship with God, add a little conflict to your life. Get out of your comfort zone. When you suffer, take time to think and pray, Lord, where am I? How am I seeing you? How am I seeing my brothers and sisters? Am I isolating myself or am I running toward you? Am I running toward community? What am I doing? Because that will reveal where you are at in your pursuit of God. And I'm here to tell you, child of God, that even if you're not in the healthiest place, Jesus Christ still invites you to come to him today. To come to him right now. He's loving you. He's pursuing you, saying, I started a good work in you. 
I won't abandon you. I put some beautiful people around you. I know sometimes Jeremy's a little ugly and all of that, but I still place them in your life to encourage you and all of that. I want you to pray. I want you to meet with me. I want you to know me. I want you to have better judgment to know what is most important in this life. God does a good work in bad situations. That's our God. Came across this story by the name of from a lady by the name of Corey Ten Boom. Some of you guys might know who she is. She was a devout uh, follower of Jesus, and she held dearly to the promise that we see in verse six that God started a good work. And she lived during the time of the Holocaust. She lived in Holland. She was a watchmaker and. Um, what she began to do was she began to hide Jewish people in her home so that they wouldn't be taken into concentration camps. And one day she was caught, she was captured, and she herself was taken into a concentration camp near Berlin. So what did she do? She carried on that spirit of partnership that she had before going into the concentration camp, and she brought it into the concentration camp. Because in the midst of the concentration camp, she began to have Bible studies with people. They found a Bible, a Bible, her and her sister, and they began to read scripture and thank God for things like fleas. Can you imagine that? She begins to thank God. She begins to have worship services there in the concentration camp. Famine in the midst of being overworked, in the midst of people dying next to them every single day. She's doing this work of partnership in the midst of suffering. But she, because she believed in a promise that we see here in this text. And she after her, many of her family had died. She had been rescued, and she continued to carry this promise and this partnership in her soul. And she uh, was freed from this concentration camp, and she would call people to pray in the 70s, to come to God, to experience intimacy with God so that they serve one another. And she said this one time, she said, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. See, in the midst of our suffering, God is doing a good work because he invites you and me to go deeper with him. You know why? Because we realize this earth as we know it is not our home. So why would we bank on anything less than God himself? In her life, we see a promise that she held on to. To the day that she died, even in the midst of her suffering, we see a partnership of her helping people, serving people with the love of Jesus, contributing, participating, even though she had nearly nothing. We see her calling us to pray. To pray. That's a reminder to us again, family. And whether in a concentration camp or whether your marriage is on the rocks, maybe you're divorced, 
whether you have some conflict with somebody here in this church. Maybe you feel abandoned by your father. No matter what has happened in your life, what we see is this. Is that what God started, he will complete. Because again I say, God does good work in bad situations. And it's for your good and for my good. Let's pray. God, we we humble ourselves before you, Lord. God, we humble ourselves because Lord, oftentimes we find ourselves at the end of ourselves. God, we get tired of our self, Lord, trying to work things out on our own. Lord, I confess that even myself, Lord. God, and today, Lord, I pray that we would hold on to the truth, Lord, that you are doing a good work in us, Lord, that you haven't abandoned us, that you are still with us, Lord, that you are still calling us, inviting us to be with you, Lord. I pray that we would be encouraged today, that we would see Jesus, that we would run to him, fast do business with us at this moment in the name of Jesus I pray Amen